0: of the Hidden Gems Podcast. My name is Sam. I am joined by my podcasting partner, Movie Soulmate, Eternal Political Enemy. Steve, Steve, how are you today? I'm doing super. Also, I just want to mention that we're going to have a special guest today on the podcast. His name is Nigel. He's a dog. (laughs) Uh, He's brand new to the Hidden Gems Movie Podcast uh, experience. So if you hear some barking or some
1: rustling, that's just him disagreeing with Steve's terrible opinions on movies. Well, he has a different way of expressing... A negativity towards a movie, and it usually has to do with him cocking his leg.
0: That's right, exactly. <laughs> so um today's uh, episode, we decided that we were going to bring it down for the people a little bit. You know, Steve and I, we live on a lofty mountain of yes. taste, of, of cultivated and refined taste. And we thought, you know, for all you schmoes out there who just want a good rip-boring adventure, that we would do something in that vein. So today's episode is box office bombs. And what I mean by that is, these are large-budget, uh, box office movies that were expected by their respective studios to do really well, but in fact failed terribly. But me and Steve, or excuse me, Steve and I, uh, we think... <laughs> yeah, if you want to be lofty, yeah, exactly. you I gotta get the grammar that. right. Yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> so Steve and I, we think that these movies, while while they were huge box office failures and critical failures as well, which is essentially when a movie doesn't make money and doesn't impress critics, that means the critics don't like it and the people don't like it. But Steve and I both think these movies were good. Um, so the first movie we are going to start with today, and if you hear some wrestling once again, that is the dog trying to end this podcast. <laughs> uh, so the first movie we are going to start with today is, I think we, Steve and I disagree on this a little bit. Not on the movie's quality, but whether or not it has been critically overlooked. And the movie's last action hero...
1: And now, a special sneak preview of movies coming to a theater near you.
0: Negotiations with the madman known as the Ripper have
1: totally broken down and there is no word on the hostages. Police have surrounded the ground floor and the stock teams are moving into position. Oh, my gun. God, they're shooting at us. Get down! It's like the, no, down. the situation is out, out of control. control. The police the are pulling down. The special hostage negotiator has been called yeah, in. Here's an armored division, and this
0: is for moving I've never seen any of this before. Take cover. Take cover. In cover. In cover. In cover. In the police the Right now, there's a truck directly in the line of fire hunting.
1: This may be the hostage negotiator police we're talking about. It's Slater!
0: You may remember Detective Slater from an earlier story. He is notorious in belief circles for his unusual tactics and- Don't even
1: think it, Slater! You hear me?
0: Nonetheless, Slater is known throughout the city as someone who gets the job done. Then you go in there and it's your badge!
1: Sorry. Not yet. Come back later. Arnold Schwarzenegger, last action hero, the big ticket for ninety three.
0: Um, Steve's older than me, as you all know, and and I don't know, you know, the people he talks to, but in my opinion, I think Last Action Hero is a is a what do you call it, a cult classic. I think a lot of people like Last Action Hero.
1: When you told me that, yeah, I was surprised.
0: Yeah, I mean, at least I have a lot of friends. So here's the problem: I have a lot of friends who like that movie. Whenever people bring that movie up to me, it's only to praise it. Hmm. So while it may have been a box office bomb, I'm not sure it's necessarily a hidden gem. Only in the sense that I do think there are people out there who like that movie. But before I summarize the movie, we're going to start a new little uh, a new little thing here called Facts. And Steve's
1: got some research on uh, on Last Action Hero going to share with you now. Okay, here are the stats Last Action Hero. Was released June eighteenth, nineteen ninety three. That's kind of an important date, why and that? might explain why it was a box office failure. One week prior, Jurassic Park got released.
0: Oh my god! And that yeah. movie
1: sucked all the air <laughs> right. out of. Uh, <laughs>
0: Absolutely, who's gonna who's gonna go see this? <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, yeah, I think E. T. was still the biggest box office hit after Jurassic Park was released, mm-hmm. but Jurassic Park became the number one. Box, worldwide box office hit. Gotcha. At that point. Okay. It's PG 13, runs 210, um, I'm sorry, two hours and 10 minutes. It was re- released by Columbia Pictures about a couple of years before Sony bought it. So, um, you know, they don't get to, you know, blame a different uh, 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 regime. The budget was $85 million. That was a lot. That's a lot of money in 1993, Be- you said? Yes. Yeah. I think, like, two years before, uh, James Cameron's Terminator was the first movie to cost $100 million. Not adjusted for inflation, it was the right. first movie to, to cost $100 million. So there was a lot on the line. Okay. A lot on the line. U.S. opening, it opened to only $15 and I don't think that was that great. No, I'm sure that wasn't great. That would have been okay a dozen years before in the early 80s. Not for a movie that's titled Last Action Hero. <laughs> you know,
0: yeah. maybe if the title is Tango in Paris.
1: <laughs> Boy, I, I, don't know, I don't know how people, uh, they drew, drew people in there, uh, yeah, right. considering <laughs> what it was showing. Uh, total U.S. gross was only uh, $50 million, yeah. which is disastrous, yeah. and... Uh, worldwide gross, was $137 million. Now, that's not enough for it to recoup its money. What I've read, the general consensus seems to be you have to gross two and a half times your cost. Now, I don't know what percentage needs to be uh, domestic versus um, worldwide, but domestic is more reliable money. You, you get worldwide right. numbers. Uh, I guess they ultimately go to the studio, but each country has different deals, each Country has different tariffs, you know.
0: Although worldwide is important. And the reason I'll say this is one of the things that the studios have been claiming for years is the reason that they do not finance a lot of all black cast movies is that they claim that in Europe, people don't go see movies with all black casts. Now, I don't know if that's true. And I don't know if, hopefully, I would assume Black Panther shattered that myth. But that was Hollywood's excuse constantly for not financing movies that have all African-American casts, which is, sorry, but people in Europe won't go see those movies. And if people in the international market don't
1: see those movies, then we won't make our money back. You know, I, it really wasn't a myth. And even to this day, uh, fairly successful uh, movies mm-hmm. uh, w- w- with a mostly black cast – do poorly over overseas uh, that may be uh, just you know the racism of the crowd yeah. the, they're, they're only hurting themselves and Black Panther made their worldwide uh, gross was not that much more than their domestic it wasn't that, that's not entirely true I don't know exa- exactly the numbers but it didn't perform like it wasn't say the, the Avengers
0: yeah, it wasn't the hit that it, it should have been it, compared it still to made America
1: hundreds of millions yeah. of dollars overseas but it didn't it's worldwide gross is is smaller you know um, and, but that, that, that's a lot of baloney that, that there's no reason not to grow, not to make a movie because if it's a decent movie, it'll make money over here. Gotcha. So that was just, that was just lame cowardice and racism on the side of well, the, we're, all, uh, we're
0: already veering. What else you okay. got?
1: <laughs> oh, um, scream, uh, screen story was credited to a pair called Zach Penn and Adam Leff. And the screenplay was by Shane Black and David Arnott. Shane so we can Black's talk more. Impor- yeah. Shane Black's we important We will talk part about him. Yes.
0: And then... The director, I believe, John McTiernan. John right? McTiernan, um, famous director who created Die Hard, also famously went to prison. Yes, for hiring a private investigator to what did he hire the private investigator? You know, to I do? didn't know
1: he went. Actually, I I knew he was involved in a scandal. Uh, I didn't know that he went to jail for it. I believe it's, it's one of two things. Um, either
0: hired a private investigator to follow his ex wife. Or he hired a private investigator to follow some business associates, but whatever it was, he broke the law, and I believe spent a brief time in prison. Mm. However, for any listener that uh, knows the answer to this, you guys can uh, always always hit me up. Since everyone who listens to
1: this podcast basically mm. already knows me, <laughs> our attorneys just uh, lit up the lines and yeah, said, right. uh, "Shut up on the uh, <laughs> yeah. possibly defamatory." Uh, wrong. He, he did. He did. There was a big scandal, and it effectively. Yeah it really ruined his career and it, it he really hasn't recovered. But since. he's also
0: one of the most influential directors in modern movie history because he essentially created the action comedy. Yes. The idea that, you know, the, the action hero was an everyman like Bruce Willis was supposedly at that time, not a big muscle Brown freak, like Sylvester Stallone who had a witty line for everything, the sort of action comedy, which is what the Marvel movies are today. Make no mistake. They are action comedies. Um, they owe a, a huge debt to John McTiernan and specifically Die Hard. Any other facts before I give the short uh, summary
1: of this movie? That that is everything. But I, I like what you, you you distinguished comic book movies as far as Marvel movies. Yeah. DC comics movies yeah, are aren't not doing that. No, they're they are, not. They're Greek tragedies. <laughs> Marvel, yes, Marvel, Marvel, Marvel movies. They they will hire a legion of screenwriters to make sure there's, that the laughs come at every certain time, just like in a sitcom, mm-hmm. that the laughs come, keep people laughing enough so that you know word of mouth makes sure it's a hit.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so here is the basic summary of Last Action Hero. This is an extremely meta movie. What this is, is there is a young boy who loves to go to the movies, and he specifically um, loves action films. And his favorite action films star the actor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I'm I'm completely blanking. What's the name of these movies?
1: Oh, Slater, Jack Slater. Jack
0: Slater. So he goes to see this series of action films uh, called Jack Slater, Jack Slater 1, 2, 3, and 4, which are played by, in real life as well as in the movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he's in this old-timey movie theater one day, and the guy who runs The Projectionist, which is a very old trope by this point, the Cinema Paradiso archetype, of the projectionist, who's also the wise father figure, tells the young boy, he says, hey, you know, I was actually, and I'm going to give something away. I'm going to give away one of my favorite lines. He goes, I've got this magic ticket that was once given to me by Harry Houdini, and it was given to, to Harry Houdini by the best magician in Indiana, who was given to him by the best magician in Tibet. You know, of all places, <laughs> so they went from Indiana all the way to, to, to Tibet, you know, in one
1: in one phrase. Tibet's a popular destination for Hoosiers. Right.
0: So and, and the projectionist, he kind of sells it like, yes, it's a magic ticket, but it's not really. Well, of course, it turns out to be a magic ticket. And this boy, who, by the way, has no father and lives at home in New York City with his mother, Mercedes R- uh, Ruel. How do you say her name? I always thought it was just Rule. Yeah, Mercedes Rule, who won an Oscar for Cadillac Man, was it? Or the Fisher King? The Fisher King. Excuse me, she won an Oscar for the Fisher King. Well, anyways, it turns out this ticket is magic... And it sucks him into the newest Jack Slater movie where he meets Jack Slater, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it's basically, you know, this pretend world. It's a movie. The whole whole world that the kid is now in is an action movie world where there are no consequences to anything. And you can punch people halfway across the room and your your hand won't hurt, you know. (laughs) Um, So he basically partners up with Arnold Schwarzenegger to take down the villains of the movie. And we're going to do this as a spoiler-free, you know, exercise today. We're not going to give away the ending of this movie movie but he's essentially living or he's not essentially he is in an action movie now and he's trying to convince the main character of this movie jack slater that he himself exists in a movie so you know imagine i'm living my life and steve comes and says sam do you know that you're the main character in a movie you know so but here's the point here's the first thing i want to say about um, last action hero it was so much funnier than i expected and the thing you reminded me of is it really felt like the guys who write the McBain uh, segments on Simpsons, which are the pretend Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, wrote this movie. This movie is extremely self-aware and meta. It is 100% poking fun at the very kind of action movies that John McTiernan helped create. I mean, it is fabulously funny. It's way funnier than I expected. Steve, I'm glad you recommended it.
1: I heard nothing... Uh, nothing but um, terrible things when I went to go see this movie and I I, I kind of went kind of not expecting a whole lot and I was shocked how clever this movie is and I think a lot of the cleverness uh, resides with the screenwriter Shane Black. That's right. He made two other movies that are two of my favorite LA movies and that is Kiss Kiss Get, Bang Bang with Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer and The Nice Guys, with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe, are, those are two they're hidden buddy, gems, they're too. They're basically
0: buddy cop movies.
1: Yes, and they're, they're hidden gems, too, because they both flopped when they came out very undeservedly, and they're right. fantastic, and I hope he makes more, but he's not being encouraged to by audiences. Perhaps the reason those movies flopped is the same reason this movie flopped. It was too smart for its own good.
0: Did Shane Black write Last, Last Boy Scout? I can't remember.
1: You know what? I'm not sure. All right, I, listeners, I if you a... know the answer to this, uh, get
0: back to me. Um, I'm actually almost kind of shocked that Shane Black doesn't have any writing credits on these Marvel movies. Because they're so obviously biting from his formula. I mean, It wouldn't
1: surprise me if he doctored some of the scripts.
0: Yeah, maybe went, and went, maybe went uncredited yeah. as a
1: result. Wouldn't surprise me.
0: Another thing I want to say about this movie is, this is without a doubt... Um, the best Arnold Schwarzenegger performance that I have personally seen. Yeah, it just blew up qu- one of my five questions. It was going to come up, though. It was going to come up. <laughs> now, what I will say is I, there's one Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that's a zombie movie that people quite like and think he's really good in. I think he's best in this, but I do want to say something. Um, and it's not really a spoiler, but Arnold Schwarzenegger's best part in this movie is not when he's playing Jack Slater. But is in fact when he is playing Arnold Schwarzenegger at one part of the movie. In one part of the movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the actor, is playing Arnold Schwarzenegger, the actor, and not the uh, the character of the movie. And that is when he is at his absolute best, his absolute best. And in fact, one of the best jokes in the movie is he's at a premiere for his movie Jack Slater, and his wife Maria Shriver, who's also making a cameo in the film, is begging him not to plug uh, his his restaurant Planet Hollywood because he can't help it. You know, they're, they're asking him about the movie and then all of a sudden he goes on this tangent about, you know, the great food at Planet Hollywood and his wife is, and he goes, you know, oh, there was an opening,
1: you know, I, I had to take it, I had to promote this. <laughs> she, she drags him away and she says something I still cannot um, make out what she's saying. I should have put closed caption on. She says something, it's embarrassing you low forehead or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah She yeah. really takes a shot at him like she's really angry. Right before that, he makes, but he, He's still cracking on his own movies. He says, yes, uh, this, this movie is very, very good. In, in this movie, we only kill f- 56 people, where in yeah. the last movie, we <laughs> killed 87 people, yeah, and he's right. got a good story. And hey. The movie never lets up making fun of the kind of movies these guys are making.
0: Now, the reason I brought up that I thought his best part in the movie is not when he's playing Jack Slater, but is, in fact, playing Arnold Schwarzenegger, is because one of the few flaws I think the movie has... Is that Shane Black gives these clever jokes to Jack Slater, like little uh, witty one-liners that Schwarzenegger can't pull off. He's just you can't understand him enough when he when he delivers these one-liners after you know pulling off some great stunt. Uh, that being said, something I noticed about Schwarzenegger in this movie because I'm not the world's biggest Schwarzenegger fan, as I think you guys could probably you know realize by now, is he's good at facial acting. He he can act. By this point in his career, he knows how to act. He knows how to sell it with his face. The problem is still the line delivery. Um, maybe it's you know 50% the accent and 50% being untrained, but he's much better without lines than he actually is with lines of dialogue.
1: Um, it's just something I noticed in this film. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I kind of disagree. Okay. I, I really do because— I, I think it's kind of touching his, his butchering some of the language. Oh. It, it kind of makes me feel like he's, he's more real and down to earth. Schwarzenegger has never before been this relaxed in front of a camera. Yeah, that's true. Never this easygoing, and, and he never was afterwards either, unfortunately. He, he took uh, True Lies. Well, you know what? He was kind of loosening up on, on True Lies, but he's still, he goes back to that, you know, he's a slab of beef who, right. who, who, who beats up the, the bad guys. Was this um, before
0: or after kindergarten cop?
1: This was right after Kindergarten Cop. Okay. So
0: he'd already had a sort of foray into comedy. Yeah. Although this is better because it's action comedy. I think like it's also action. after
1: Twins, too.
0: Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, he... I really, it's I, much
1: better comedy than either of those movies.
0: Yeah, and I was impressed by his acting, but more in the facials and just his mm-hmm. expressions rather than in his line delivery, which, you know, if you're not a trained actor, I don't think you're ever going to get. However, his line delivery when he's playing Arnold Schwarzenegger uh-huh. is perfect. I mean, when he's actually playing, you know, a self-obsessed movie star, he's great at it. He's <laughs> he's self-aware enough to know. Another uh, so this movie has an all-star cast. I mean, it's just like a cast of Oscar winners. You know, at one point, and I'm going to give away another great line. Um, one of the cops in the LAPD, uh, whose last name is Practice, I believe is played by F. Marie Abraham. And F. Marie Abraham, he comes up and he greets uh, Jack Slater. He goes, you know, Jack Slater, how's it going, my old pal? And then he leaves, and the little boy uh, says to Jack Slater, he says, don't trust that guy. He killed Mozart.
1: <laughs> and Slater says, uh, later says, who is this guy, Mo yeah, er, Zart? Yeah, he does His uh, last name Zart? But the I point is,
0: even the movie is pointing out that the people in the movie are, are actually actors. You know, so F. Murray Abraham is F. Murray Abraham. The boy knows he's F. Murray Abraham. It's not like the character doesn't know it yeah, because the, the character right. is
1: is uh, John Practice. Yeah,
0: and another great um. thing is the LAPD office in this movie is unbelievable, <laughs> it's absurd. It's got absurd. valet parking. It's at one point a cartoon character is a cop, and in fact, the little boy says to the chief, who's who's really wonderfully played. I don't know the the actor's name, but the little boy says. You're in a movie. One of your cops is a cartoon character. And the chief goes, That, car- that cartoon character is one of my best men.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, uh, uh, the kid, uh, he's Danny. Uh, yes. Thank uh, you. Yeah, a kid. But he's played by a young Danny? kid by Austin O'Brien. Yeah, they are. Yeah. or Billy. Yeah, or Billy. Uh, he's played by Austin O'Brien, and he's trying to do what he what uh, Schwarzenegger calls these movie proofs. Yeah, and to to prove to these people that, of course, we're in a movie. Mm-hmm. There's an animated cat being partnered up with a woman. That's ridiculous. Right. But they don't see that because. And one thing I really have to point out because it struck me. Was the LAPD office
0: in this movie really reminded me of the Terminal Port in Total Recall? It is, <laughs> you know, it's just a, it's a place that is so over the top and filled with, you know, just ridiculous-looking people. It might as well be an alien world. It's really yeah. hysterical.
1: Well, some of the people walking around look like aliens too. Uh, one, one cop is the is the. Um... Resurrection of Humphrey Bogart, they, right. they take a clip yeah. from a Humphrey Bogart movie and insert it in this movie. Frank McRae is the actor you're talking about, okay. the... the, the... The police chief. He has the identical role in another buddy movie, Forty Eight Hours. Oh, he played. He does the exact same thing. He yells the entire performance. Only this time, he gets to make fun of it. He was also in Used Cars, if you remember, as the narcoleptic mechanic, who is hilarious. Oh, was he? Yeah, I uh, didn't
0: even realize that.
1: This is a, a very underused, underappreciated actor. By the way,
0: the cartoon cop who doesn't get a lot of lines in the movie is actually played
1: by Danny DeVito. Yes, voiced by Danny DeVito.
0: And the villain of the movie is played by the guy who
1: played um, Tywin. Lannister on Game of Thrones. Charles Dance in his absolutely most, uh, uh, s, um, uh, what would be the Sinister? Word? Not just that, suavely sinister. Suavely sleazy. The thing yes. that I'm
0: really happy about when I realized it was that actor was, you know, when you're an old English actor, you get to act like an old dignified man. But when you're a Middle East, uh, uh, sorry, a middle-aged actor in Hollywood mm-hmm. just trying to make a buck, you know, you can't fall back on that. It, it's just funny, you know, if, if people were to see the guy now, they'd just assume all he's done in the past was Shakespeare.
1: But in fact, you know, he was in
0: movies like Last Action Hero playing really uh-huh. sleazy villains.
1: And in fact, Worse than that, he played the villain in a terrible Eddie Murphy movie, uh, The Golden Child. Uh, I've I never <laughs> yes. heard of that movie. And he, in fact, he delivers a great line in the movie because the
0: movie's just full of great lines. Yeah. And he's he's got Danny, you know, in a tight spot. And he says to Danny, I've killed boys younger and smarter than you. You Oh, you're killing me, dude. That was one of, that was one of my
1: two favorite quotes. It's
0: impossible to talk about this movie, though, without <laughs> constantly quoting it. Yes, um, yes. But that's the thing, you know, younger and smarter. For starters, Danny's like 11. <laughs> he's killed someone
1: younger? Yeah, like killing Danny would be no big deal. Yeah. He's used to it. Uh, and the, 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 just the way he says it, it's it's a toss-off line, but he says it with such elegance. I should tell you, I have killed people smarter and younger than you. He's got that vocal cadence mm-hmm. that Alan Rickman would have put put yeah. to it. And Alan Rickman was hired by uh, John McTierman to be in Die Hard. Yeah. He was supposed to have this role. I'm not surprised. No, uh, and it, Rickman would have been great, too.
0: And in fact, the guy that Dance works for, Charles Dance works for is another famous actor, Anthony Quinn. Ah,
1: well, the legendary Anthony Yeah, Quinn. the legendary yes. Anthony
0: Quinn. Um, So, you know, the movie is just full of big-name actors, and I'm going to spoil another line. So, basically, a big part of this movie is while they're in the action movie, they're making fun of action movies, and one of the things they are making fun of is how a, uh, you know, a cop or a hero always needs to basically commit some act of vengeance for some wrongfully killed person close to him, and in this movie, it's his second cousin, his favorite (laughs) second cousin, and he says things like, you killed my second cousin. (laughs) Big mistake. Big
1: mistake. Like, let
0: me tell you something. If someone killed my second cousin, sorry to all my
1: second cousins living out there... Um- <laughs> Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Most people wouldn't even know their second cousins. Right. By the way, the second, second cousin is played by another Oscar winner, the great Art Carney. That's right, you know. and he's fantastic. And in fact, so I'm not giving anything away here because,
0: you know, obviously you know that the bad guys kill Schwarzenegger's favorite second cousin. But <laughs> Schwarzenegger, he, uh, he comes to his second cousin's home to bring him groceries for some reason. And his cousin's sitting there in a chair. He's been really badly injured and beat up. And his cousin, he says, he says, you know, quick. Jack, I got to tell you one thing. And then he tells him that some two rival mafias are getting together. And then he goes, now I'm going or something like that. He says,
1: I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm out of (laughs) here. And then he dies. And he he expires right Right. on time.
0: And then right after he dies, the build, the house season blows up and Schwarzenegger and these two cops, you know, they, they fly out of the build out of the house from the explosion. And I swear to God, one of the jokes from McBain is now in this part. In the older black cop who looks just like McBain's partner in The Simpsons says, I was only two days away from retirement. <laughs> I mean I really Which is
1: t- a line from another Shane I think Shane Black screenplay um, uh, well uh, alludes to uh, in Lethal Weapon. Oh, okay. because oh Murtoch, he made Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Danny Glover is is two days away from retirement. So we haven't even talked about Lethal
0: Weapon yet, but yeah, these are a vein of movies, you know, that there's always there's always a punchline
1: after the kill. Yeah. Now, I don't. I don't want to give the impression that this is just a uh, just a gag machine of a movie. No, it's got a it's sweetness not. to it, and, and yeah, it's got a sweetness to it, and, and it are all. It mostly lies with with the Danny character. That's right. The Danny character. He's kind of brutalized. He's 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 all he's, he feels like he's all alone except his mom. Mm-hmm. He's terrified of the world. They have. Um, he goes to school. He, he skips school. It, we, he we lives actually see a him in a New York a th- City that's always raining. It's always grimy. You can yeah. feel the grime. That's right. This is like uh, the guy and, who directed right. uh, to The Taking of Pelham 123. They kind of yeah. transferred that look right. of New York. And,
0: and in the Jack Slater movies, they take place in a Los Angeles where when you go to the LAPD pre- uh, precinct department, there's valet parking. I mean, it's the cleanest form of society. You know what I mean? Like this, yes. There's not a single piece of litter on the ground and it never rains. It's obviously Danny's fantasy world. Yes. But something I want... But go ahead. Beginning back. Um,
1: he, he's in school. Mm-hmm. His mom forces him to go to school. He's, he's a couple hours late. And he watches this uh, movie that Joan Plowright, another great actress, uh, introduces. She's introducing him to Hamlet. In the class to Hamlet. Now Joan Plowright was actually m- married to Laurence Olivier. Oh wow! <laughs> you talk about meta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's actually saying, you know, talking about her husband there, but she's she's a schoolteacher. But um, Danny gets frustrated with the Hamlet character because he won't, he won't, you know. Kill his father-in-law, like he's supposed to. Come on, let's get on with it. And then he starts thinking, "What if McBain Or I'm sorry, M- yeah, you hear exactly. you what I'm saying? What if McBain slash uh, Slater, Slater yeah. was playing Hamlet? You know, and then Hamlet's taken out. Something's rotten in the state of Denmark, and Hamlet's taken out the trash. You right. imagine this is this great movie? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so Jack Slater. Slater's it's just really
0: Arnold Schwarzenegger is just killing everybody in this Hamlet. And then at one point, he <laughs> he's goes, exact
1: the exact opposite of the Hamlet yeah. character. Yeah. And I think this. This is an allusion to Mel Gibson, oh, the wow. action hero who played Hamlet just like a year or, or two before. By the way, um Shane uh, Shane Black did write Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 2, at least the story, and he also wrote the um The Last Boy Scout Like You Thought. Yeah, the point
0: is the guy knows mm. what he's doing. Absolutely. By, by the way, when when Schwarzenegger's in Hamlet, one line he goes is to be or not to be. And then he goes not to be <laughs> and then you see this a huge explosion. <laughs> you no, know, he actually makes the choice.
1: <laughs> it is terrific. Now the funny thing is that when he comes home, his mom tells him to stay put. She's going out to work, but he for some reason he opens the door and he lets this thief in. Mm-hmm. And the thief is brutalizes him, kind of he doesn't really beat him up, but terrorizes him. And and at one point uh he, he he puts a knife on uh the thief puts a, puts a knife on a counter, and dares Danny to go get it, and he can't do it. He's just like Hamlet. He's the Laurence Olivier Hamlet, not the Jack Slater Hamlet. Right. He can't do it. He's paralyzed with fear.
0: Yeah, he's a real person.
1: Right, exactly. Now, you, you fast forward, when he gets sucked into this movie via the the, uh, uh, the magic ticket, he points his gun, He, he this little kid, this 11-year-old kid, gets access to all these guns, and he's constantly pointing guns at people. He never shoots, if I'm not mistaken, but he, he points the gun to a number of of people. He, I guess he finds, in this father figure, John S- Jack Slater, he finds a little courage. Yeah, that's right. And something about the movie,
0: which I want to say, is that I think people today would find some of it corny, especially the more sentimental moments between Danny and Jack Slater. And I tragically mourn that loss. The idea that... We can't have this kind of sentiment in movies anymore where, you know, everybody disagrees. Here comes the um, the soppy part, the sloppy part, you know, the part that, you know, is obviously written for sentiment. Movies have become kind of cold now. Everything's Everything's got to have that sarcastic edge. And and if it is sentimental, it's got to be really deep and tragic. It can't just be a kind of light on the surface sentiment, which is what this movie has a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, well, <clears throat> more more to the... Uh i think going even beyond that uh we're encouraged not to have heroes we're yeah. encouraged Danny idolizes this guy and he he makes good yeah that's right um you know the marvel comics want, want you to believe that and and the d c comic movies want you to believe that all uh, all all superheroes are basically uh you know wrecked human beings yeah, you know right. broken wrecked yeah. human beings are basket cases. Uh, Jack Slater is a strong guy. He's a smart guy. Yeah, he does you know? what's
0: right just because it's right. It's not yeah. that he's got some terrible. You know, the Joker didn't kill his parents. Right. <laughs> he's just doing it to do it. Yeah. Um.
1: Okay. So why don't we uh, why don't we get to our five questions now, Steve? Okay. Well, first, um, you took one of my one mm-hmm. of my favorite lines, but another line that I really liked that we we call it this section the quotables. Um, Slater says. After he, he rescues Danny near the end and crawls back up onto the top of the uh, the building, he says, "This hero stuff has its limits." Yeah, and I really think that Schwarzenegger might have been wanting to move away from action movies. Interesting. My case would be stronger if he hadn't made True Lies immediately after. But then he follows up with Junior. Yeah, you know something a, a little I, I and the jingle all the way, jingle all the way. He wanted to. I think he wanted to expand his horizons. Well, he certainly did. He it became the governor of California. That's true. If that's not expanding that's your horizons, I don't know what is. I don't think this is a spoiler alert, but at the end of the movie, he actually... Are you going to spoil it? Do, do you think it, um, the wave is, is a spoil? Yeah, I think it's a spoil. Then I won't say, uh, I won't bring it up. Forget I said anything. Go back and, re- and rewind yeah. and erase, okay? Okay, here are the questions. Um, well, you've already, we've already talked yeah, about this.
0: What's your favorite line in the movie? Just tell oh. me your
1: favorite line. Well, I think th- this hero stuff has its limits. I love life. that because I think it really encapsulates the second thought that Schwarzenegger, and, and uh, maybe McTierman is, uh, is having about this. You okay. know, this movie should have killed that kind of action hero movie, but we, we gotcha. can't, you know, it's impossible to, to satiate the market. My first question, of course, we've already talked to, this sort of damning with faint praise, is this Schwarzenegger's best performance, I think, unquestionably, li- yes. Yeah, there's no question. He was more effective... He's perfect as the Terminator, no question, but that wasn't his best performance.
0: It's not his best performance, too, because in the Terminator, the character is so obviously written around his weaknesses. You know, in the Terminator, he doesn't have to emote or even, um, or even deliver hardly any lines. And in fact, you could point out that in the Terminator 2, he's probably worse as a result <laughs> because they give him a little bit more emotion.
1: Yeah, at the, the very end, it's funny too because the way Cameron originally wrote it, yeah. he wrote it for an actor like uh, Michael Bean, yeah, being the Terminator gotcha. and Schwarzenegger being the guy who protects. Uh, Boy, uh, we, can Linda have a, we can have a whole other
0: podcast on Michael Bean That's one true. day, but, and, you know, and why I still like him. And in <laughs> fact, if any of you guys out there are watching the Mandalorian, Michael Bean was in one of the episodes, two episodes That's ago. All right. And he's still got it, man. I don't know what happened to that guy's career, but he's in tons of movies that I like. Yeah. And in fact, just on a slight tangent about Terminator 2, I had this college roommate who I love. And whenever he would get drunk, he would go on this wild rant about how at the end of Terminator 2, and sorry, but if you haven't seen that movie by now, I'm going to spoil it for you. <laughs> at the end of Terminator 2, when the Terminator is basically drowning in hot lava, he gives a thumbs up. To the young boy uh i can't remember the actor who played the young boy mm-hmm. edward furlong there you go. he Ooh, gives a he gives a one. thumbs up to edward furlong to let him know everything's going to be okay as he's as his circuits are being melted in acid but as my friend kyle likes to point out the terminator has no emotions and in fact the melted acid probably just triggered some of his wiring
1: <laughs> to create uh, to what create a spoiled sport yeah, you, to, what to, a to create sport a your thumbs up is. he's uh. right though all right so let's go keep going <laughs> well um well uh
0: hmm. so you just asked you just asked um what were the uh, what was this oh. his best performance
1: and i think uh, yeah uh, far and away no again question. more effective in 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 uh, uh terminator but here here's another thing why did critics and audiences both hate it whatever the answer Ooh. is i think it's the same reason that uh shane black's two subsequent uh uh directing efforts uh kiss kiss bang bang and the nice guys failed
0: okay so i have done no research on why this movie failed. So now I'm just going to go from the gut. Um, for starters, the people that see an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie might be expecting a dumber movie, a less meta movie. The very people who go to see those types of Jack Slater movies may not have realized that they were going to go see a movie that is making fun of those Jack Slater type movies. And for the critics, you know, critics are awful. They're terrible people. <laughs> they never get it right. They hardly ever get it right. It's why I never read them. Um, And they're probably already biased against Arnold Schwarzenegger and John McTiernan just from the get-go because they make movies, on the most part, that people like, like Die Hard. And critics hate it when other people like the movies they like. And uh, not only that, but, you know, especially coming down to the the bias they would have against Schwarzenegger— it was already proven last year against Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems. Adam Sandler 100% did a great job in Uncut Gems and deserved an Oscar nomination for yeah,
1: it. He, he was intense. It was
0: but, they, but they were never, the critics were never going to ever admit that Adam Sandler did a good job. They just couldn't mm. bring themselves to it. And, and the Academy is, uh, is right. punishing him for past sins. And it's like, you know, the people <laughs> who vote in the Academy, they don't want to vote. Nobody wants to be nominated alongside Adam Sandler. What if they lose? You know what I mean? Like nobody wants to lose the Oscar to Adam Sandler. And I, and I kind of think there's a bit of that going on where critics play it safe. A lot of the time they refuse to step out on a ledge because they feel like if they, if they call it wrong one time, everyone will remind them of it. So what ends up happening is usually they're more wrong about the movies that were good rather than the movies that were bad. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Um, here's my next question. Um, Based on this movie, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, and uh, uh, The Nice Guys, does Shane Black love Los Angeles or hate it? Has he spent too much time there or not enough time? He's probably a guy who
0: tells people he hates it, but he really loves it. There's no question.
1: Because I think the cleverness behind this movie, it, it comes from him. Yeah is a fine, fine um director. He can make anything look interesting, but uh oh, look
0: like how are you gonna hate a place where, you know, people are constantly having outdoor pool parties at night? You know what I mean? <laughs> like how are you gonna hate a place like that? No, Shane Black. I, I think he just he sees the entertainment industry and LA for what it is but i think with fondness nobody writes movies that lighthearted if they don't have a fondness for the environment that they're in
1: yeah yeah no, I, I agree i think he, i think he loves la and i think he likes act, he loves action movies but he doesn't mind ripping them right and i think he gets tired of clichés this is a guy who takes great care in his dialogue so i think he resents the clichés that he sees in action movies and maybe that's one of the reasons it failed be, uh because people want the clichés i mm-hmm. don't know yeah um One of the reasons it, and this is my fourth question, uh, one of the reasons this movie took a drubbing is a lot of people seem to hate uh, uh, the kid who played Danny. And some people found him annoying. I didn't. Did you find Danny annoying? Slightly at times.
0: Yeah. Um, Only, yeah, slightly at times. But for the most part, it didn't bother me. Um, I think child actors have gotten a lot better in time. I don't think back then was a particularly good period for child actors. You look at child actors now and they're like, weird savants i mean their talent is just through the roof yeah and i think back then a child actor was more like a kid that you casted from an elementary school when you you know when you uh when you auditioned thousands of kids none of them with with acting backgrounds but i think there are so many kids with acting backgrounds now especially the children of the baby boomer movie stars Mm -hmm. we're just seeing all these these really good actors who are the spawn of other actors and i think that's also part of what's happening now
1: you know, that's probably going to lead to a lot of actors who are really good as kids, but they are they can't sell anything as adults yeah. because they have no uh, grounding in real life.
0: Yeah, nobody wants to see Colin Hanks.
1: <laughs> you know, he's not a bad actor, but he's not a draw either. No, no. Um, okay, one last thing. Now, the, the, the villain in this movie, Benedict, played by Charles Dance, he gets the, the bright idea—I don't think I'm giving away too much— when he goes back to the real world, right, so he let's, discovers let's, re- let's rewind
0: for a second. Okay. Um the villain Charles Dance discovers that Danny is from an alternate dimension. Right? He's not the villain's not totally aware yet that he's in a movie, but he knows there are two dimensions that he can go back and forth from just like Danny has done. So he steals the magic ticket from Danny and jumps in to the new world, the modern world. But that's that's yeah. as much of a spoiler as we're going to give.
1: Yeah, uh, the, the Charles Dance character is, is surprised yeah. by this new world, um, going with all the uh, the cliched movie tropes. Uh, when somebody shoots a gun, then there's supposed to be tons of police. He sees somebody get uh, uh, get killed and robbed for his shoes, and he can't believe it. He goes up to this what one uh, underage prostitute and asks, and she asks, "Hey, you want a party?" And she says, well, "How?" Old? And he asks her, "How old are you?" Like he's kind of shocked. Yeah. This is a terrible guy, but he's he's he just he's crestfallen. He, he comes to the conclusion that uh, good guys can win right. in this in this uh, environment. My question is, he just des- Well, well he good decides, guys can win, or
0: you mean bad guys I'm, can win? I, I beg The bad guy. In can win. In fact, that's an important part win. of the movie is because Danny says to, to um, Jack Slater at one point, in my world, the bad guys win. You know, that's the whole idea is that in Danny's world— the good guys don't win. It's only yes. in the Jack Slater movies where the good guys win, and it takes a while for Slater to to, yeah. to and, realize. And the point this. is, the bad guys in the real world are much uh, are much more evil. Yes, you know that's the idea. They they're politicians, and you know, in fact, there's a great <laughs> line when the guy who the projectionist at the movie theater is listing off all the bad guys in the real world. He's telling Jack Slater this, and then. He says politicians, a bunch of other guys, and then he says politicians again, and Jack Slater goes, you already said politicians, and he goes, I know, they're twice as bad. Twice as bad as everybody
1: else. Yeah. Well, uh, Benedict gets this great idea. He's going to use the ticket, and he's going he's gonna go to go to movies with sinister characters. He's going to bring the characters out. Yeah. He's going to bring evil people, uh, you know, Hannibal Lecter or King Kong. Question for you. Yeah. If you wanted to rule the world, who would you where would you take this ma- magic ticket? Where would you uh who would you pull out?
0: Well, for starters, I wouldn't want to rule this world. I would just live in one of the movie worlds. <laughs> I would never come back to this world. I wouldn't use other people to um to bring into this world to help me. Change let me change the question. Yeah.
1: What what movie would you use the magic tic- t- to ticket to live in? To live in. Ooh,
0: that's a tough one. I I got to say Lord of the Rings, man. Yeah? How can you not? I mean, it's just a huge world. It's a huge (laughs) world. You can do basically anything. Either Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. I know that's, you know, that maybe seems like a basic answer, but they're just, they're worlds that have so
1: many places to go and different things to see. Um, me, it would be any any movie, any movie that was written by Aaron Sorkin, because I want to sound that clever right off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, no, definitely, <laughs> uh, no, I, I think I would probably shoot myself in the head if I was living in an Aaron
1: Sorkin movie. Sorkin, um, he knows how to write clever dialogue, but he's not a very good dialogue you know, writer. You know why nobody
0: eats in Sorkin the movies?
1: They're too busy talking. They're too busy talking. Exactly. <laughs> nobody
0: ever consumes any food.
1: I, I might have been I may have to dial back that a little bit. I thought he I thought he wrote a fantastic screenplay for uh, the, the Steve Jobs. Oh I like I, I like some fantastic. of his
0: screenplays. I think Social Network yeah. is good. I also you hate Moneyball, but I like Moneyball. Um, before we get into our bad pitches, yes. um, there's two things I wanted to note about this movie. The first is and this is a, a greater thing that I've always wanted to talk about, which is Danny sees so many movies. He loves movies, right? They're all bad. All the movies that he watches are bad. And this brings up a greater point and something I've observed over the years. Movies are one of the few art forms you can um, consume in the thousands and never get any of the good stuff. You know, if somebody got into, you know, I don't know what kind of art, like, you know, expressionist painting or classical painting or even, uh, you know, sculpting, if they decided to start consuming art, those kinds of arts, they would undoubtedly uh, consume good art, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, because there isn't really trashy art of that variety. Yeah. Even novels, for the most part, you know, in some ways you can read a bunch of trashy novels, but reading in itself is productive. But that being said, movies are one of the, the few art forms that people can consume by the thousands and never see any of the good stuff. It's why it's so hard to convince people who don't like a certain movie that that
1: movie is good. Because these people see tons of movies, it's just none of them are good. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I, I'm kind of guilty of that myself in, in one sense. That's why I never saw uh, one of the movies we reviewed last week, America, America. The high, you know the high art oppressiveness turned me off. I, I think, you know, you just got to break through that... Uh, yeah, that stigma yeah. of, you know, you're, you're going to be bored by a black and white movie. Right. No, you're not necessarily yeah. going to be bored by it, no. Two more things. The movie
0: theater in New York that Danny watches the movies is amazing. It's one of those old 50s or 30s movie theaters that were just huge. One screening room, that's it, with balconies and stuff.
1: I'm young enough to remember when movie theaters were that big. I was on the yeah. tail end of that, and we had a, a, a movie theater uh, just right up the road in Oxon Hill.
0: Gargantuan theater is right. fantastic, and in fact, we're both from the DC area, so there's also the Uptown movie theater, which is sort of like one of those. Yes, and then another thing here's something I really wanted to say. There's a part of this movie where uh, Jack Slater introduces Danny to his really attractive uh, daughter. I think her name is uh, Br- Brittany Br- Brig- uh, Brigitte Nielsen, or she's it's the lady married to Pete Sampras. I can't remember her name. I think it's Bridget Nielsen or Bridget Nielsen, um,
1: but I might have that wrong. No, Brigitte Nissan, I think she was married to Sylvester Stallone. Oh Stewart. yeah, Another no, action yeah, is. no, not Sorry. that girl. But anyways, uh-huh. the
0: point is, he introduces Danny to his really sexy, um, you know,
1: I'd say you know later teenage daughter. She's probably nineteen, twenty at least. I don't know which name applies to her because she has two names: the actress name, which I think is Brittany, and and then Whitney. I think is the. Uh, oh, gotcha. You know, well, either way, I think her, and... I
0: think her name is Brigitte for some <laughs> reason. But anyways, the point is, she when she meets Danny, she kisses him on the lips. And tells him, you know, how handsome he is. Can you imagine if the Danny character was a girl, like 11 years old, same age, and the daughter character was a man, a 19-year-old man, and he did that? You know, we'd all be shocked and appalled, and
1: rightfully so. Do you think they could not get away with that today? I think they could get away with it. I do too. And in, <laughs> I think there's a, the, it's that kind of uh, and you know, this, and the, double standard. And South standard.
0: Park made a, a big joke about this, which was there was a South Park episode where one of the, the kids, the male kids, fornicates with his very attractive teacher and none of the fathers seem to care. They're just kind of like, oh, good for you. Yeah. But it's obviously <laughs> pedophilia. You know, There's no way around it. But no, I, I think you could get away with that today. And it's just something, it's, it's one of these... It's like a weird double standard we have for young boys in the sense that they can do it but not not that girls should do it but the boys shouldn't be able to do it you know no one should be
1: doing this Well I would argue that there is um kind of a there might be a, a biological difference that could explain it, but I don't want to get go down. No, that we're not going to go down that road. road. I'm, just, I'm just
0: saying it's just is something interesting I noted. All right, let's get to our bad pitch segment. Steve, do you want to do yours first?
1: It's killing me. Oh, there it is. Her name. You were right. Her name was Bridget Wilson Sampras. Bridget Wilson Sampras. There you go. Yes. Now her character was uh Whitney slash Meredith. One okay. of the one of the names applies to her, the actress. The and then invented, one's the character. Right. Gotcha. Okay, so do you want to do your uh, your bad pitch first? Here's his bad pitch. Here's his bad pitch. Okay. Yeah. It's Die Hard mixed with Airplane. You got the action of Die Hard. You got the laughs of Airplane. Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally right. Um, I think that's it's a little on the nose though, only because
0: you named a movie that this guy had made. All right. So so here's mine. Mine is it's Who Framed Roger Rabbit meets Total Recall. Okay. Because the world is like Total Recall. It's just this bonkers world. It might as well be sci-fi. I mean, but at the same time, there are cartoon characters running throughout the world, right? And mm-hmm. the world is very much a, a, a product of Hollywood. It is showcasing Hollywood and what it does. And that's why I say it's Total Recall meets Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It yeah. is a crossover between a meta-commentary on Hollywood as well as just this insane world that can never exist, which all the characters live in. Any final thoughts on last action here before we move on?
1: Only that uh, it's too bad it's taken this long for people to to realize how how good it is.
0: Yeah, so I had always known, maybe not known it was good, but heard it was good, but I had just never been interested enough to watch it because I didn't know it would be that funny and that clever. Okay, let's move on. So the next movie was my choice, and it is actually a more recent film. Huge box office flop. It was the movie called John Carter.
1: When I saw you, I believed that something new can come into this world. You oh, John Carter of Earth?
0: Yes, ma'am. threatens to destroy our city
1: That don't look like a fair fight You are ugly but you are beautiful You will fight for us Get on We did not cause this But this very night We will end it I was too late once. I won't be again.
0: If you're a little confused, what is John Carter? It's really a series of books uh, called John Carter from Mars written by Edgar Rice Burroughs. I believe that's Mm -hmm, his name, at the turn of the 20th century. So right around the time 1901, and they are a series of sci-fi novels about a former Confederate uh, captain in the Confederate Army who, by some crazy circumstance, gets transported to the world of Mars, where he ends up... um, he ends up fighting people and getting involved in alien adventures. But
1: before I describe the movie too much, uh, Steve, why don't you give us the facts on the movie? Got to do the stats. Got to okay. do the stats. John Carter was released in March 9th, twenty twelve. Does that date, not not the twenty twelve, but March the fact 9th. that it was released on March 9th give you pause as to why this movie might have flopped? No. Why would you release something in between the big, you know, the big ticket seasons? you know oh uh, yes you the know, dead period uh, the, the the post-oscars some movies have has have yeah. some movies have had success and you're right post-oscar maybe somebody's looking for something a little lighter mm-hmm. but the d- march early you know uh, late winter early spring people i i i if you're gonna drop 200 million you need this need to be a temple um uh release yeah maybe disney smelled something i don't know it's rated PG thirteen. This runs almost the exact same running time as Last Action Hero, which, two by hours the way, Last Action
0: minutes. Hero was surprisingly long—two hours and ten minutes. That's true. You know, for an action movie, that's a long
1: time. Yes. All right, so keep going. Well, uh, this one's two two minutes longer. Yeah, <laughs> but this two is an epic. Minutes. This movie's an epic. It that's true. Yeah, that's true. Comedies. I found the comedies don't make them more than two hours if you can help it. It was produced by Walt Disney and uh you know Walt Disney uh it was not one of their you know wasn't under Touchstone or uh, I think they I don't know if they'd bought Miramax by then but it was released as a as a Disney movie. It was mm-hmm. uh, it, the budget was 250 million dollars which had to be close to a record. Mm-hmm. Um maybe not Avatar, you know, uh money but pretty close. Uh, the grosses, the U.S. the opening weekend it was thirty million dollars, which is you know, uh, not horrific. Not good though, because after every weekend, every
0: weekend after an opening weekend, you tend to lose money. Yeah. You, so that's yeah. not a good enough start. You want to you want to recoup a significant amount of your budget back in the yeah. first weekend alone. Yeah. If if.
1: Um, if the budget had been reasonable, this Officer, have they been would have horrible. known. They would have known immediately by that thirty million number that yeah. it was going to be a huge flop. They probably were hoping for like seventy to eighty million. Right. Uh, opening, uh, U.S. total gross seventy three million. <laughs> it's That's not a bigger disaster
0: than Last *Action Hero*. Yes. A much bigger disaster.
1: Absolutely. Uh, the worldwide gross was two hundred and eighty four million. So worldwide gross, oh, it, it only um, it's like a
0: fifty million dollar profit. It's not good enough.
1: Well, uh, uh, it's it probably lost hundreds of millions because like i said in order for it to break even if that if oh, that right, uh right. If two that, and a half mm-hmm. uh, multiplier applies it would have had to have made in the 70s, 700 right, right. million uh it was a complete disaster in fact i think disney uh, it might have affected Disney's stock i know that disney um reported a uh a first quarter loss due primarily to this <laughs> movie yeah. this movie um it was written, it was directed by Andrew Stanton. Mm-hmm. It uh, Screenplay, uh, a lot of people worked on this. And I, these are only the people who got credit. Andrew Stanton, uh, Mark Andrews, Michael and Michael Chabon. And Michael Chabon is Chabon. a
0: Pulitzer Prize winning uh, novelist who wrote the very famous um, novel, uh, The
1: Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Which revolved around, you know, uh, superheroes, superheroes, yes. and the Holocaust.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> it was about peop- two people, two guys who wanted to to write really good. Comics. It's a fictional retelling of the creation of Superman. That's what it is. In terms of
0: of the the you know the two, what were their names? The the boys from Cleveland who created Superman. Two
1: Jewish boys. I know who you're talking about. It's a, it's a fictional it's recreation tongue,
0: yeah. of the origin story of the two mm-hmm. boys from Cleveland who created Superman. Anyways. No, I, I
1: didn't know I didn't know that. I, oh, I read yeah. the book. I didn't, I didn't realize it. Any more stats? Uh, no, that's about it. Uh, except that, you know, it's kind of interesting that right. you have such an acclaimed writer. Yeah. But a writer who's grounded in that, in this okay. kind of... Uh... So I'll do a quick summary then. So what happens is, there is this, um,
0: it's right after the Civil War this movie takes place, and there is a Confederate captain named John Carter. His family has been, has somehow died in the Civil War. They don't exactly explain it. They were possibly murdered... Now he lives this kind of solitary life where he's just digging for gold and he's lonely. And he finds this cave that's full of gold and he gets attacked by what is clearly an alien. He kills this alien using his revolver and then he clutches a medallion that the alien is holding. And when he clutches this medallion, it transports him to the world of Mars, the planet far away from us. And on this planet, he discovers that he has these superpowers that are later explained to be due to his bone density from Earth where essentially he can jump really far distances, and he's super strong. And on this planet, there are two species. There are the, um, what are they called, the Tarix or the Therns? Do you remember the Thurox? There's two species on Mars. One is a humanoid species called the Red Men, and the other species are these, they're like these tall green men with four arms, basically, and they represent the more tribal people on the planet. They live in in greater poverty while the humanoid people the red men live in great cities and amongst the red men there is a civil war occurring
1: and john carter is obviously going to get involved in the middle of all of it he looks like one of the red men yeah i think the first people he gets and comes in contact with are the Tharix or the the therns i can't remember their alien species name for some reason i'm not i'm not going to go too (sighs) deep into
0: this plot i want to talk about this movie in general um For starters, the character of John Carter is played by an actor from Friday Night Lights. His name's Taylor Kitsch. Um, I'm just going to say why I like this movie. Um, Nobody liked this movie. The studios didn't like it. The people didn't like it. The critics didn't like it. I first saw it um, just on TV one day. The reason I even watched it to begin with is I like the novels. I have read a few of the novels. Have you? They are written very much in the prose style of Sherlock Holmes. It's a beautiful prose telling absolute sci-fi B-crap. You know these are not these are not um, high. These stories themselves are gutter stories. I mean they're 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 popcorn entertainment for readers of the time. Although there are many people who have said that uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs created science fiction. That John Carter is the very first example of science fiction. It's called the Barsoom series because the people of Mars called their planet Barsoom. Anyways, when I saw this movie, I came away right away with um what I felt about it, which was 12-year-old me would have gone apeshit for this movie. <laughs> and sometimes that is enough. And the reason I like, I wanted to talk about this movie is that part of my problem with the Marvel movies is that they are trying to cast the widest net possible on their potential demographics, which means they are trying to appeal to both children and adults, and as a result, do neither well, in my opinion. Those Marvel movies are not entirely for adults, and they're not entirely for children. So both audiences are only getting 50% of what is intended for them. In my opinion, John Carter is entirely for kids. It really, to me, yeah, it has some... It's like 12-year-old kids, basically. Maybe 12-year-old boys, specifically, where they can handle a little bit of violence. But at the end of the day, this is an adventure movie for children. Now, I have a son, and when he gets older, I will show him this movie... And probably enjoy it the most watching him enjoy it. Which means that it's not... I have, I'm have i in touch enough with my 12-year-old self to see this movie for what it is and to appreciate it. Because I think those kinds of movies, these large epic adventure movies that are just for children, are going out the window. Steve, did you like this movie? No. Not at all. <laughs> I, was, I, didn't, I didn't like it. I had a it. feeling you wouldn't.
1: Uh, getting back to what you said about the Marvel movies. Disney, yeah. who, who owns Marvel... They do know how to make a, a terrific movie for kids that adults can appreciate, but they only seem to have that talent for animation. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, I think The Incredibles is a perfect example where I, I, if I was a kid, I know I'd love it, but I wouldn't appreciate it the way I would as an adult, which you absolutely can. Uh, this movie, you're right. This, there's, there's a purity to this movie that uh, the, the corporate compromises of most Marvel movies doesn't get into. When
0: this movie's funny... It's slapstick. It's not a cynical kind of humor that the Marvel movies have. It's not an adult humor. You know, something that we were talking about in Last Action Hero, which is the sincerity of its sentiment, this movie also has as well. This movie is not afraid to, you know, show sentiment, to be sincere, to try to get you wrapped up in the adventure of it without winking at you. It's not, it's not winking at you the way the Marvel movies is. It's not trying to be clever the way the, Marvel's movie, the Marvel movies are which I appreciate because I can't stand that kind of, look how clever we are all the time. Sometimes I just want a good romantic epic adventure that I can get sucked into. And even though I like this movie as an adult, I know 12-year-old me would have loved this movie and would have mm. watched it endlessly
1: on repeat. And I don't think those movies exist anymore for those kids. Yeah, it's it's kind of neglected. Yeah. Uh, because they're so nervous with, with a big investment like that. I didn't like this movie because I didn't feel... Transported like you did. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel integrated into the world. I I didn't get lost in the world. Well, you're also a lot further away from your 12 year old self than (laughs) I am. That's true. For me, my sense of whimsy just isn't there. It was Uh. for me. 12 (laughs) years old wasn't that long ago. Uh, Taylor Kitsch. I'm not sure about the kind of actor he is, but I think he's a wrong. Actually, I think he's too good for this kind of movie. I I think you need a broader. uh, He's a character character
0: actor in a in a leading man's body.
1: Yeah, yeah. I thought I saw him in True Detective, the, the second yeah. season. And underrated I mean, season. Too, it was so critically yeah, panned. Right. I that liked it
0: better than the first one. <laughs> I didn't like it better than the first one. Here's how I always felt about it. I didn't about, like the first one. I liked the second here's one. Here's how I feel about those two seasons, just to go on a small tangent. The first one's not as good as everyone says it is, and the second one's not as bad as everyone says it is.
1: I'll, I'll, go, I'll go along with you there. And I think, I'm not sure, I haven't I haven't researched him, but I think he's, he may be too good an actor for this kind of role. Maybe they needed a Chris Evans type. Right, now luckily, this movie did not hurt his career too bad because what happens with big box
0: office movies like this that fail, if the actor is a relative unknown, they cast that person aside forever. They say it's his fault entirely. This is what happened to Brandon Ruth in the Superman Returns movie, which by the way, I hate comic book movies, is a movie I love. I think that's a wonderful movie. Um, But the point is, that movie's failure was entirely blamed on Brandon Ruth, which is not fair, and he basically never worked again. And I was concerned that they were going to do the exact same thing to Taylor Kitsch here and never let him act in anything ever again. But luckily, while his career is not filled with blockbusters, he is still acting. He's still out there doing stuff. He's a, he's a good enough actor. To, to, right? to I think they saw that he was an interesting actor. By the way, speaking of all-star casts, once again... You know, one thing about big budget movies now, which they all share, including the Marvel movies, is they cast Oscar winning type actors. They're like,
1: terrified. They're terrified of of the audience not remembering this character, who he was, not right. relying on the quality of their acting. Yeah. We got to put superstars so that everybody can track every character and, at any every and moment. And you may not know this, but in the
0: movie, there is a character who's basically a king of one of the two human cities and he is played by the actor who played Julius Caesar on Rome. Yes, yes. But what's even more interesting is that in this movie, his top general is played by the guy who played Mark Antony in (laughs) HBO's Rome. So these two guys know each other quite well and have actually played this dynamic before. And even to further tie this movie to HBO, the guy who plays the villain in the movie played McNulty in HBO's The Wire. So this movie is just filled with HBO actors.
1: Well, not only that. Isn't Thomas Hayden Church in this movie? He's Hayden? on HBO's The yeah, Divorce. Yeah, Thomas Hayden or Church is in this movie. He's voice yeah. acting. Willem Dafoe Willem is Dafoe. in this movie. He's doing more voice acting. I just think he's wasted in this movie. I think he's great in the movie. I don't think he's great because I mean I think he's okay, but the the character he plays the uh, mm-hmm. I think he plays the king of of the uh, the Tharks or what? Yeah, the Tharks, the Tharks. I, I don't want to get in trouble. Um, you know, with I don't the think purists. anyone's going to care. <laughs> I hope not. Um, I think he was wasted, and I love William Dafoe. You can't get a better character after than William Dafoe. I just thought his talents were were um uh, I totally were, were wasted because I didn't think he was very vivid. One of the biggest uh, weak links. I don't know who what actress played her, but um, Deja the female, the female um yeah. uh, hero, hot hot female interest, love interest. She is um
0: out of her out of her depth here, and I don't know if she got too much acting gigs after this movie. Although I didn't think she was too bad. Look, like, I'm not so saying... Lynn Lynn Collins? I, I don't recognize the... Uh... I am saying that this is a bad movie and a good movie at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I knew it would be a controversial pick because I wasn't sure. I, I, I doubted that you would probably enjoy it. But I appreciate that somebody tried to make an old-fashioned, epic, aimed at children, an epic adventure aimed at children... Without being overly clever, without being overly sardonic or sarcastic, which is what they all are now, partly due to what we 're saying this John Mctiernan style you know the The Avengers is more John Mctiernan than it is Lord of the Rings, and i 'm saying there's it's nothing there 's nothing wrong with making these Lord of the Rings big budget adventure films that aren 't dark that aren 't overly grim, but in fact are light hearted adventure tales. And I just think there is a... Well, maybe there's not a place for them in this market, but I want there to be a place for them in this market. I want to be able to take my son to see these kinds of movies without having to explain to him the jokes that are intended for me. Does that make sense? (laughs) I I totally get you. Yeah, so I I think the movie... And it's very understandable. I think the movie is actually good. I do think it's a good movie Mm -hmm. for who it's intended for. Now, Andrew Stanton, the guy who directed and co-wrote this film is responsible for many of the Pixar films and their success. He, he wrote many of the screenplays for the Pixar movies, which means he has generated big box office numbers, right? His scripts have made Hollywood a lot of money. Why he decided to make this movie is a mystery, although it's actually not because there's another great podcast called, I think it's called What Happened When?, And it's about these, you know, these sort of strange happenings in human history. And one of them is about what happened to John Carter. You know, what happened to this movie? Why did it fail so badly? And why did such a well-respected money-making screenwriter from Hollywood make this movie? Um, Yeah, I mean, that's another podcast you guys should listen to. But basically, the guy was a fan of these books and really thought... He could make this movie, and he could make it make money. And in fact, Disney World was planning on it. They, the movie's clearly set up for a sequel, for multiple sequels, because there are multiple books. They were planning on amusement parks for this movie. Disney thought it was going to be a smash, and it wasn't. It wasn't. I think the and movie And Andrew will never
1: get to make another movie again. He never will. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, he, he made another blockbuster. No. But it was it was an animated movie. Exactly. He, he, went, he back went back to back. his, yeah, he you got, know, the, he got uh, demoted. the animation ghetto. Yes. Yeah, he got demoted. I think Finding Dory, which was a sequel to Finding Nemo. I think this movie is, a, is, is kind of a mess. I, I really do. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to want to stay anywhere for very long. Uh, is it a dumpster fire mess? Or is it a Jackson Pollock painting? This <laughs> sorry, <laughs> closer to closer to the dumpster fire, I uh, think. I uh, I just I don't I don't like how it bounces around. He doesn't have a chance to um, show any loyalty to any particular group. It's funny because you think, well, he's a human at, at, at the moment. Well, but yeah, but at, by the end of the movie, yeah. he feels like he's Martian. I hate to give anything away. That's he okay. feels like he's Martian rather than human. He feels like this place is his home but i don't see where he where he um i don't see where the allegiance comes from because he seems to be bouncing from one place to another it's one of these movies the biggest problem i have is they seem they're worried that uh, they're going to lose it, your attention so they keep bouncing you from one um from one place to another let me say you've read the books yes i th- believe i re- i read somewhere that um the mark strong character mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's this super villain who yeah. seems to be controlling everything, but it's 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 incredibly an enigmatic uh a villain. You don't he don't really get the teeth into it. The filmmakers mm-hmm. don't get the teeth into it, and therefore Mark Strong can't get his teeth yeah. into this role. And he, he comes on like he's he's this puppet master, and he seems to disappear. But what's the question? Was he in? Was the that character book? in any of the John Carter movies? Uh, books. books, I'm sorry. Books. Yes,
0: but not he in was? the first book. See, what's happening oh. is, if you've read the first book, then what you know in this movie is they are clearly expecting to make more movies. Yeah. And they are incorporating elements from the other books into the first movie. They even kind of hint that maybe the Mark
1: Strong character isn't pure evil.
0: Yeah, so that's that's the point. Uh. They are, um, They clearly expected this movie to be a hit. They thought they'd make more, and they decided to leave breadcrumbs for the future films. <laughs> and as a result, they took characters from the later books and put them in the first movie so they could entice you to go see the second movie, which obviously is never going to happen. No, um, You know, I just want to say, I, I really do think, you know, you, you said the movie is moving too fast. I think this movie moves slow for kids. What they're selling kids now—the type of rapid-fire movies where you want to talk about scenes not lasting. Scenes now consist
1: of one or two lines of dialogue before they cut to another scene. <laughs> Why well, I should say that? Um, it blitzes you with action sequence after action sequence. When it does slow down, it gets almost inert. Uh, when, they, when they visit that one, it's like a tree-like structure where they're supposed to find... I don't even know why There's a lot, there. of, MacGuff- There's a lot there. of MacGuffins in this movie. And the problem is I don't really care. Well,
0: yeah. guess what? Nobody Here's cares
1: can- about MacGuffins.
0: MacGuffins <laughs> are terrible in general. I hate all MacGuffins. There's only one MacGuffin that ever mattered, and it was the ring. After that, <laughs> there are no MacGuffins that matter. J.J. <laughs> Abrams has made an entire career out of MacGuffins. Gotta get this red ball,
1: gotta get this blue ball, gotta get this black ball. But you can't let the MacGuffin confuse the audience. Which is what they always end up doing. Yes. MacGuffins are stupid. However, I still like... Well, they're, 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 to a degree, they're necessary. As long as they don't clutter up the audience's thinking. And I think they do a little a little bit here. Well, the, the audience is 12. <laughs> Yeah, and but uh, let's and face me. it. Let's face it. Those parents who are going to take those 12-year-olds have to be able to enjoy it even if it isn't on the, you know, yeah. oh, uh, the wink and a nod kind of thing. Yeah. I I could not it was hard for me to get into this movie. I never fully got into this movie. That that actress who who, who um I just I just, you know, glancing at IMDb, she's played uh in the Shakespeare in, in one Shakespeare movie. Uh mm-hmm. so she might she might be a fantastic actress. She seemed awkward and uninteresting in this movie so i was gonna say this movie uses the classic outsider trope of
0: you know person from the outside is savior for different people that that he's not a part of so he has a lot in common with dances with wolves and but here's Avatar, the, but here's the problem. This is the first movie. This is the books are the first ones to do this. Yes, we can't say this movie is using a trope because it's quite possible <laughs> this movie invented, invented the, the trope. trope. You know, these books were written in
1: 1901. They're super mm. old. Well, uh, Fish Out of Water is is you know it has been around for a while. But uh, and
0: here's something I want to say because we're talking about just the Marvel movies. <laughs> mm-hmm but i brought up i said you know i want more lord of the rings type movies and the issue is game of thrones has ruined fantasy because now every fantasy that comes out has to be like game of thrones it has to be dark gritty you know everything's got to be dark and gritty it can't they're not you have to
1: slaughter people right. to prove right. that uh you're yeah. going after realism there has in between to be, the walking and there, dead and and there,
0: and there right. has to be um and the Com- dragons. complex shades of morality to characters. Yeah. We can't have pure good and pure evil. Yeah. And I think that's a problem. I really do. I think there is room for lighthearted, epic adventure, fantasy, sci-fi storytelling where the good guys are good and the bad guys are bad and you can still make good movies as a result. You know? We need I'm more, with you. We need more totally Luke Skywalkers. We need more Luke Skywalkers and less Tony Sopranos. What can I say? <laughs> you know?
1: No, I, I am with you. It's funny, the things that I can praise about this movie are are usually the stuff you're not supposed to praise, but the special effects are, for the most part, excellent. They integrate some of their yeah. um, CGI characters, yeah. as well as any movie I've ever seen. Yeah, it was made in 2012. It looks like it was made in 2020. Yeah. Or really, 2019.
0: Nothing's getting made in
1: 2020. <laughs> uh, actually... I, I could see people working from home, working on the latest Jar Jar Binks, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, the, the the special effects are are terrific. The, I, I love the, the the flying machines. They almost they have a hint of a biplane. Yeah. Uh kind of thing. This was written, what, nineteen ten like, or something? Yeah, they're like
0: steampunk planes. They're yeah. basically planes that you pedal with your feet. <laughs>
1: you know? <laughs> yeah, they almost look like, 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 um, like those big Roman uh ships where you That's had right. um These are like sailboats rowing. in the sky. It, yeah, and looking at that that keeps it very Close, probably uh, to what I would imagine Edgar Rice Burroughs yeah. thought was going to be the future of flying. The movie, well, I don't want to give away my bad
0: pitch, so we'll hold it there. Um, but the movie is basically taking the the artwork and illustrations from the the Edgar Rice Burroughs novels, like the covers, and incorporating that into 21st century, you know, Disney CGI and disnifying it a little bit. Hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I I just think. I feel bad for kids today because when they watch movies, half that movie 's for the adult and mm. i don 't think that 's fair and when something is purely for a kid it 's some awful half thought out c g i crap you know they 're not getting these adventure films that are really designed purely for them and possibly for their dads to see their son or daughter 's face watching this movie and enjoy it somewhat themselves and that 's how I feel about it uh Steve, any questions
1: before we get on to my five questions for you? Well, it sounds like um uh, how much you love this movie it almost has like a nostalgia absolutely without you know it reminds obviously.
0: me of movies from when i was growing up
1: yeah i i yeah. didn't grow up with these marvel movies i i
0: despise them and even though i i know kids like the marvel movies i do think they're missing out on more whimsical romantic adventure and yeah. less of this cynical you know style of movie making that exists for them now i i feel bad for them
1: I was in my late teens when I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark completely blow uh, right. me over. This is
0: more like Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark than it is the Marvel
1: movies. It is, it is uh, a yeah. bit like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark.
0: Okay, so here are my questions. Number one, does 12-year-old Steve
1: like this movie? I'll bet he liked it more than 58-year-old Steve. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay, but that. good.
0: That's what I'm saying. Do you, the, who you were when you were 12, does that yeah. person like this movie?
1: I would say probably yes. Yeah. And probably keep in mind, you only yes. saw it in
0: theaters when you were 12. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. you saw it on a big screen. I bet you would have liked this movie. It would
1: probably have bowled me over,
0: yeah. Okay. Is this movie better than The Avengers? This is question number two.
1: <laughs> no. No? Ah! <laughs> After all the t- uh, trashing, yeah. the, I thought The Avengers, the very first one, before mm-hmm. they got into this in- incredibly rote, Before they started playing with Genocide... Yeah. <laughs> Before
0: everything turned to genocide, you know, it's just like, how are you making a movie for kids and your your villains hell-bent on universal genocide, <laughs> genocide throughout the universe? I mean, it's just
1: ridiculous. You know, it's funny because the the, the same thing that's happening to the Avengers and what if anything kills the Avengers will be that is what harmed uh, uh the Bond movies. The villains had to had, more had to be in at stake yeah. until Moonraker, where he's has to he's going to wipe the villain's yeah. going to wipe out the entire planet why
0: can't some villains just want to kill one person you know what I mean. why can't some villains just want to get gold out of fort knox why is it
1: always genocide or why, why can't they just want to you know uh kill a 16 year old kansas girl's dog you yeah know? exactly right yeah yeah exactly <laughs> there wasn't a lot of much in stake in wizard of oz but it, it was, pretty, she was a pretty damn effective villain okay so
0: my 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 uh my third question is, is this movie too dark for a 12-year-old? I say, obviously, no. I would um. I don't think so. I, just one, I don't think one thing so, about this not, movie is they, s- they stab people in this movie, but as long as the blood is blue, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Which is really the reason I even wrote this question, to just bring up how people do
1: get stabbed through the heart in this movie, but the blood is blue, so okay, all good. I think it might be a PG-13. I, yeah. I think uh, you, you wait a year. Because <laughs> when you're 13, you can take it all. Yeah.
0: All right, fourth question,
1: boy. I know what the answer to this one is. Uh, would you see a sequel if they ever made it? <laughs> you know, I would be. I would give it a try. Really? Because they, they did lay an interesting groundwork, and so you because for... you had a lot of plot revelations that I thought slowed the movie down mm-hmm. and kind of hampered it. In the in the hands of the right filmmaker, a sequel might be worth seeing. Okay, question four B then okay. uh, follow up. Would you see this movie in theaters when it came out, or would you wait for it to be released on DVD? Yeah, I watched watch in theaters. This movie, I saw this in theaters in twenty twelve. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and, and when I saw it, I I I just came away. Um, I didn't unimpressed. know that. I
0: didn't know you had already seen it. Yeah,
1: I, I came away kind of unimpressed. Um, I didn't hate it. Yeah, but it 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 didn't excite me. You know. Okay. Uh. What was the question again? Uh, that was it. It was, would you see
0: a sequel? And would you said yes.
1: All right, that was I the question. I think I would. You know, yeah. e- if they try to expand
0: on it. Okay, you know. so that was question four B. Yeah. Question five, the <laughs> last one. How mad are you that
1: I made you watch this movie? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not mad at all. You know, it. Uh, there's some things I liked about it. There's mm. some sequences that are that are that are pretty impressive. Seeing those, I, I don't know, they, those gigantic sloth-like uh, creatures pulling mm. those. Uh, those wagons—that was kind of impressive. Yeah. So for anybody out
0: there who maybe has a twelve-year-old son or daughter, show them this movie. I think they'll like it. Okay. Let's let's do
1: our uh, our bad pitches. Okay. Okay. I have to do this pitch based on a movie I've never seen. Okay. Do it. <laughs> At least I don't think I've seen it. Um, I see this as Outlaw Josie Wales. Interesting. Meets uh, Lord of the Rings. Okay. Now the reason Outlaw Josie Wales is because um, he's he's his wife and I think child mm-hmm. are killed. Yep. This guy, in, in, in about the same time period, Yep, and he goes back and he tries to, to, to wreak revenge, although this is kind of the opposite of right. that. He doesn't try to, to, to find revenge as to who killed or how they were killed. Um, instead, he finds an escape. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it de- you can't ignore the Lord of the Rings. In fact, the only reason this movie, I'm sure the only reason this movie was approved... Uh, what was greenlight? It was based on the success of uh, the Lord of the Rings and the Lion, the Witch and the and the right. Wardrobe. Right, uh, and I think, uh, you know, that, that's the only way you could you could sell it. They, they may have exactly sold it that way. In fact, okay. So my bad pitch is a three parter. Okay, it's Tarzan meets
0: Star <laughs> Wars meets Lawrence of Arabia, because it's very much you know there's the Tarzan element of this, which is he is very much. He, you know, he's with these Thark people. He's not a Thark, but they sort of praise him as the ultimate Thark. It's obviously a sci-fi, so Star Wars, and then it has the outsider, you know, may, finding a home in a tribe of someone else's, like Lawrence of Arabia did. Um, you know, yeah. it is the classic, you know, the Dune trope, the uh, the Dances with Wolves trope, the, the obvious, Avatar, the, the avatar. avatar trope. Yeah. You know, and it, that is also the Lawrence of Arabia trope. Now. Something I wanted to point out about this movie cuz we like to do could this movie be made today? This movie was made in the year 2012, but the question is, could a movie where its hero was a Confederate Civil War captain be made in the year 2020?
1: You'd have to adjust the screenplay. He'd have he to would be he a, a Union u- soldier? He no, no, he would have to express regret at the uh, at the at the cause of the cause.
0: Interesting. So the reason that would that would right. have to be uh, baked into his character,
1: yeah. his bitterness at yeah. what he fought for.
0: So the reason that this character I'm telling the audience right now is a Civil War Confederate captain is because this, this movie, you know, this book was written right after the Civil War, about fifteen no, not fifteen years, but about thirty five years later. Um, but this, you know, the, the Confederate Army in the Civil War and their soldiers were considered to be much more romantic and have much more dash than the Union Army, which was kind of considered this this Northern war machine. And I don't mean that as an insult to them, but I just mean they had more men, they were more uniformed, they were less individualistic than the Confederate army
1: was. Yeah, I think the perception also was that there were more professional soldiers yes. on the South, whereas the Northern, Northerners were made up of uh, non-professional soldiers who, who volunteered.
0: Right, but and also- That might not be true. Right, but also in the South, those, those soldiers themselves romantically were considered to be more individualistic to be, you know, to have more dash, to be more adventurous, it would not have made sense at that time, and maybe not even today, but especially at that time, to make the Civil War character a Union soldier. Because mm-hmm. the Union soldier, they were just considered sort of um, feed for bullet fire. It was just waves and waves of Civil War, of Union soldiers getting getting killed, but they just kept on coming, which is a large part of why they won the war. Um, now, I am something of a Civil War uh, historian, an amateur historian, since I read tons of Civil War stuff. I'm firmly in the camp that the Civil War was about one issue and one issue alone, <laughs> slavery. But it is also true that the vast majority of Confederate soldiers, 99% of them approximately, did not own slaves. They were mostly poor Southern white males. But I think you're absolutely right. This guy would have had to say something right from the beginning about, you know, they would have said, why did you fight in this war? And he would have said something like, well, while I abhorred slavery, you know, they were invading my homeland which by the way is not a new line they've been using (laughs) that line forever for these types of fictional characters but i honestly in some ways i think maybe disney was spared a bigger headache by having this movie flop you know if this movie (laughs) had been successful in the year 2020 i think they'd have a huge headache on their hands explaining why their main character fought in the army that was trying to preserve preserve human slavery. Repenting is not enough. Yeah, Repenting no, is not it, enough. It probably, you are forever I think marked. it would not have been. And I, I think in some ways it's a good thing this movie failed because I, <laughs> I do not think it could get away with it now in the year twenty twenty. Anyway, Steve, <laughs> this was a fun episode in an episode in which we uh, we did something for the people, you know, we went down to their <laughs> level. <laughs> back to back back to Swedish movies back to Swedish dramas (laughs) For, for, for the next three episodes you're only getting foreign films folks that is your that is your price to pay for today anyway Steve that was a fun one good talking to you great talking to you